Hey everyone, and thanks for tuning in to this week's message. My name's Aaron, and I'm on the staff team here at Eastlake. Everything we do around here depends on the generous donations of our local and online community. People just like you, who tune into these messages and see great benefit from living that idea that life is a gift and love is the point. So if you love what Eastlake is up to, we'd encourage you to contribute by going to eastlakecc.com. With that, let's jump into this week's message. Today, we hear from Bethel Lee as she continues our series, The Way I See It. Please check the description for links to our quarterly Spotify playlist and guided meditation. Hey Eastlake, Bethel Lee here. As always, honored to be with you. Uh, Just a warning that I'm by the windows and so you might hear planes, I can hear one right now, Uh, motorcycles, uh, seagulls, just all sorts of noises. So apologies in advance, Uh, but let's get into it. Okay, so in uh, the very first talk that I ever gave to the Eastlake community, which was March, I believe, March of 2019, it feels like that was a lifetime ago, at least 10 years ago. Uh, it was pre-pandemic, so everything pre-pandemic feels like a lifetime ago. But uh, it was just two and a half years ago. So uh, two and a half years ago, um, I shared with you my thoughts on what it means to be evolved, what it means to be human. And today, I feel inspired to talk about what it means to be an animal because the way I sees it, humans are animals, just mostly bald. I read that line, you are an animal, but a very special one, mostly bald, in an article called The Human League, What Separates Us From Other Animals, written by the geneticist Adam Rutherford, and I just love it so much. Um, Other Similar phrases that I'm sure you've heard are things like you're just a cucumber with anxiety or you are just a monkey with an iPhone. You know, these one-liners that um, remind us that we're not so different from our animal and plant brethren. And I just wanna dig into that concept today because in this about to be 40th year of my life, what I feel I have learned up until this point, up until this point, the lesson that it's taken me 40 years to really get and appreciate is that humans are animals. And when we lose sight of this, when we get snobby and too pretentious about what it means to be human, I think that agitates all kinds of trouble. And the reason it has taken me uh, 40 years to realize the importance of this reality that we're mostly animals is because I grew up in a religious household. I attended religious services all my life. I attended a religious university. I was then immersed in religion as I got my Master of Divinity in grad school. Uh, Then I worked in religious communities. 
And one of the main goals of religion is to separate you from your animal nature, to prod you toward morality by convincing you of your superiority to animals and everything that animals represent. You know, fundamental instincts, feeding, fucking, fighting. To cave to your animality, to your impulses, your sensuality, your desire, your body, is to move down the ladder of nobility and purity. You know, there's a reason that the depiction of Satan is a beast with horns and a tail. He represents what you don't want to be. Religious texts from every culture have their own version of this refrain, are you no better than the beasts? And the answer is supposed to be, of course, we're better than the beasts. We're just below the gods, just below the angels. And we prove this by separating ourselves, moving up, up, up the ladder, away from our animal nature. Anthropologists refer to this ladder as morality based on purity and pollution, or what Jonathan Haidt calls a divinity and disgust. And in one uh, chapter of his book, The Happiness Hypothesis, which I love and I'm going to be referring to quite a bit in this talk, um, he explains the basic theory of disgust. The way that this emotion got integrated into our faculties and into our lives. He says that first, um, disgust evolved to become the guardian of our mouths uh, by helping us discern what to eat and what to avoid. Uh, rotting carcasses, parasitic excrement, yuck, right? Next, disgust evolved to become a guardian of our bodies um, by helping us discern what was safe to touch and what we should distance ourselves from. Thus, the beginning of cultural and religious rituals of purification and the development of a clear dividing line between uh, humans and animals. And then disgust evolved to become the guardian of uh, tribe and identity and morality, separating people by social hierarchy um, and group membership, in-group, out-group, which then becomes good and bad. If you think about when someone disgusts you, it's likely that something about their behavior makes you feel unsafe. So for good reason, we got really good, really skilled at feeling disgust. This has been critical to the evolution of our species. I just wonder if we're a bit too good at it now. Um, and not just that, I just think that this very important emotion is backfiring on us, uh, causing a lot of unnecessary suffering all day long because of what that uniquely human part of us, uh, the bald part, um, our conscious minds enabled by our prefrontal cortex. 
um, the part that we're so obsessed with, right? The way that our conscious mind tends to take that emotion and just grenade it at ourselves and at others. That is something I think we need less of in this world. And I believe getting in touch with our animal nature can help. Hey East Lake, Peter here. Thanks so much for tuning in to watch this message. I wanted to do just a quick interruption to say thank you to so many of you who are making regular contributions to Eastlake. Eastlake is a nonprofit and everything that we do is because of a community of consistent and generous people who really believe in this place and want to see it continue. So uh, if you're a part of that community, thank you for how you make this place go. If you are tuning in regularly and are part of this community, but you haven't yet um, jumped in to making a financial contribution, we would encourage you to do that and encourage you to go to eastlakecc.com to help support Eastlake as a community and continue to make these messages possible. Thanks so much for uh, letting me interrupt your message. Let's jump back in. I'm going to give you a very basic, concrete example of uh, what I mean. Um, but first, back to Jonathan Haidt. I need to explain his metaphor of the elephant and the rider, in case that you haven't heard of it, elephant and the rider, uh, because it's so helpful. So the first chapter of his book is called The Divided Self. And lots of theologians and philosophers and psychologists uh, talk about the divided self. Um, I myself uh, brought it up the last time that I spoke with you all, last February, when Kristen interviewed me for East Lake's Evolving Faith series. I mentioned how I feel like I've been living a divided life for a long time and how I don't want to do that anymore. Um, and for me, I had always pictured the concept of a divided life like that uh, legend of the two wolves analogy. Um, the legend goes that there are two wolves within you, a good one and a bad one. Um, the question is, which one will win? And the answer is the one you feed. Very similar to that analogy, that metaphor is uh, the angel and the demon on your shoulders, you know, this idea that there are two equal energies or forces or impulses within you pulling in opposite directions. And you are the one who gets to tip the scales by using your reason, your logic, your spirituality to choose and empower the good one. Height's metaphor of the elephant and the rider is talking about the same thing but in a different way, a way that seems much more accurate and thus helpful to me. Height uses the elephant and the rider to describe not just a divided life, but more specifically a divided brain, a divided mind. The metaphor is based on the dual process theory, which posits that there are two main processing systems running in our minds. The automatic system, uh, the process that happens intuitively and mostly unconsciously, and the controlled system, the process that happens explicitly through reason. The elephant represents the automatic system. The rider represents the controlled system. 
Now, modern science wasn't the first to identify these two processes, two processes. I know it's pronounced both ways, so I'll, I'll probably be mixing it up. Um, these two processes uh, running in our minds. Um, Paul from the Bible referred to this dual process as the flesh versus the spirit. He also called it the law of sin versus the law of God. And for Paul, how you become an integrated, whole, good person is by consciously choosing Christ, by giving your life to his control. Jesus, take the wheel. So that the law of God, the spirit, can conquer the flesh, the sinful nature within you. Plato imagined these two processes uh, as two horses. Um, one horse is poised, representing the moral virtues, and the other horse is wild, representing the passionate instincts. And for Plato, how you become a good whole person is by letting the charioteer, your intellect and logic, steer both horses in the same noble direction. However, followers of Paul and Plato run into quite the issue, don't they? Which is that you can consciously choose Christ, give your life to him, and yet, like Paul says of himself, you keep doing what you don't want to do and you keep not doing what you do want to do. Hashtag Romans 7. And as the followers of Plato found, you can be as educated and intellectual and logical and well-intended as they come and still buckle to your wild passions. So why? Why doesn't this work? Why is the most uniquely human part of us, the conscious mind, not enough to will our lives into the direction of our choice. Because we are mostly animal. See, it can be problematic to assume, to picture these two processes as equals. You know, two horses, two wolves, an angel and a demon, the law of God and my sinful nature. More accurate and thus helpful is to picture, as Height says, a small young rider sitting on top of a much bigger, much more experienced elephant. The rider again, represents your new brain, your conscious mind, the controlled process. The elephant represents everything else, the old brain, the automatic system. And when it comes to our brain, body, mind system, size matters and age matters. And I love how height illustrates why size and age matter. Um, because I'm sure you've heard this concept before. It's talked about all the time how we have this old reptilian brain and this um, neocortex new covering brain. But the way that Hype describes it made it hit home for me in a new way. Oh, pun intended. Pun was actually unintended, but okay. So he says that in the same way that um, an old house 
might get renovated over time by expanding out the front porch, enclosing it, and turning it into a new kitchen in pandemic times, more likely a new office. Um, in that same way, over time, our brains expanded out and forward. And the most recent addition to this old house was the development of the frontal cortex, um, the place of conscious, verbal, thinking, reasoning, planning, the writer. How recent? Maybe as young as 40,000 years. Compare that with the elephant, the automatic system, that has developed over 600 million years. These two are not equal. And not only are they not equal, the rider evolved to serve the elephant, not the other way around. The rider is not the master that most imagine it to be. The rider is the servant. At best, says Height, the rider is like an advisor who doesn't have that much power. He puts it this way, the rider can see farther into the future and the rider can learn valuable information by talking to other riders or by reading maps but the rider cannot order the elephant around against its will. With its reins, the rider might be able to uh, steer, stop, and nudge the elephant, but if the elephant really wants to do something, it's gonna do it. So much of modern religion and self-help and psychology act as if the rider is the master. And I think this leads to immense and intense frustration, enough to cause people to give up on themselves and others. So this is a big deal. And don't get me wrong, I, of course, I appreciate how important the writer is, um, our prefrontal cortex, it is not lost on me that I could not even be saying what I'm saying without it. Um, my writer is the one talking right now. But when we forget that we are mostly animal, we use the wrong techniques to solve our problems. So say that you are handling a baby tiger and say that this baby tiger scratches you on purpose and it hurts and you don't want that to happen again. What is the more helpful approach for you to translate the baby tiger's behavior into a judgment about the baby tiger's identity? AKA the baby tiger scratched me, so rude. This baby tiger is a selfish ass bitch. Or might a more helpful approach be to remember that the baby tiger is an animal, which means I should consider the environment and the context and see if I can figure out, you know, what was the stimulus that caused this behavior? 
hmm, maybe it was the ham sandwich that I had on my breath um, and the baby tiger was hungry. Or maybe it was the sound of my keys, you know, jingling in my pocket uh, that spooked the tiger. I don't know anything about baby tigers, but you get the point. Um, if you don't want the behavior to happen again, it makes sense to consider what is going on in the tiger's body and in the tiger's environment and, and then consider what you might do differently next time. But what do we do with humans all day long? We see a behavior we don't like, we feel some degree of disgust, and then we take that disgust and we lob it at that person, blasting them with an identity. Selfish, crazy, stupid, annoying, ungrateful, lazy, bad. We use our beautiful, amazing prefrontal cortex to name call. We do this to celebrities and leaders. We do it to our children and parents. We do it to our enemies and our frenemies. And we do it to ourselves. And I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying it's not effective at making anything better. And it just causes more suffering. And okay, <laughs> here is my very basic and uh, embarrassing actually um, example that I promised earlier of you know how this all might happen in daily life. So this happened about two weeks ago. Um, Dave and I have moved to a new place. Um, we're very close to the ocean and we decided that we wanna be paddleboard people. So we got one, but the weather had been bad for quite a while, you know, lots of rain, days and days of it. And then suddenly there was this perfect day. It was sunny and it was warm and the water was calm. So uh, we went out on the water and it was glorious. It was even better than I pictured how good it could be. And then we were so happy and the plan was that we were going to pop into the car, go pick up some pizza for dinner and then bring it back to the house for the rest of the family since my parents and Moses were at home. Again, this area we live in is new and so we don't know what's what. So we just went to the closest Italian pizza shop and um, put in our order and we're told it would be 45 minutes. Um, longer than we thought you know we're used to going to 15 minute places um but you know cool man cool such a beautiful day so um we decided you know we don't get lots of dates so we're gonna take a stroll to a nearby uh, store pick up some beverages um in the meantime but right then uh, dave gets on the phone with his mom and she tells us that we have to pick her up right away i was not expecting this this was not a part of the plan. Dave is like, cool, no problem. I freak the fuck out. Not immediately, but in the span of about two minutes, I unravel completely. From Dave's perspective, it's no problem because his mom's at a store 25 minutes away from us. So at most we'll be five minutes late picking up the pizza. From my perspective, 
traffic is surely going to delay us. Uh, the pizza is going to get cold and nasty. Uh, Moses is going to get so hungry that he's going to have a meltdown and the whole night will be ruined. And as I was unraveling, it was like I was having an out-of-body experience and my rider was floating above me saying, what the hell is wrong with you? And my elephant was acting like someone had lit its tail on fire. It was pissed. Could not be reasoned with. My rider and Dave's rider kind of straight went into judging and shaming Bethel in their own ways, you know, one more passive than not. Um, and this just made my animal freak the fuck out more. I refused to pick up this pizza late. So what happened was Dave and I both came back to the house because it was only five minutes away. Dave got in a different car, went to go pick up his mom. I headed straight back to the pizza shop, picked up the pizza on time and brought it back to my family for dinner. After we had all eaten and my elephant had calmed down, my rider started getting louder and was like, you and Dave could have just picked up his mom and been five, 10, maybe 15 minutes late. What's the big deal? Why couldn't you change plans? What the hell is wrong with you? And this normally would have been the beginning of a shame spiral that would have lasted a few hours at a minimum, more likely days. Instead, I apologized to Dave. And then instead of uh, making me feel bad, worse, um, which was naturally tempting for both of us, instead, our writers, his writer and my writer, looked for clues on what might have caused that behavior. You know, why did I become lead tasso all of a sudden, for those of you who have seen the episode? And we quickly realized that, one, I was really hungry. And nine times out of 10, um, that's the thing that makes my elephant go buck wild. I realized that I hadn't really eaten lunch that day. Um, number two, we had been paddleboarding in the hot sun, something that can make a person more agitated especially when, like me, they don't drink water, which I hadn't been doing while paddleboarding because I didn't want to have to pee. So I was hungry and dehydrated. Number three, I sincerely was worried about how we were already pushing dinner time. Again, we had uh, assumed that the pizzas would take 15 minutes because that's what we were used to. So. Um, Moses was already gonna get dinner probably an hour later than he should and I was scared that pushing it even just a little bit more could just really make the whole night so much harder. Instead of getting curious about what was going on with my elephant, if I had just let my rider continue to make conclusions about what my behavior means, that I'm crazy and unreasonable and selfish and bad. That's what my writer was saying internally. It was yelling at my elephant. You just had the perfect day. What the fuck is wrong with you? You crazy ass woman. 
one approach. And if I had just stuck to that, just kept going down that path, and if Dave had gone down that path with me, I assure you there would have been a lot more suffering for everybody. So just an option. The next time that you or someone in your life behaves in a less than ideal way, instead of rushing to judgments about the behavior, instead of clamping down on conclusions, instead of turning disgust into name-calling, identification, see if you can ease back and prompt your writer to get curious so that you can observe your elephant in the same way that we observe you know wildlife on those documentaries like planet earth you can use david attenborough's voice if that's helpful um you know that beautiful mary oliver poem you do not have to be good you do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Yes. And when the hard, brute, wild, impulsive, fearful animal of your body do what it does, Instead of whipping it into submission, because that ain't gonna work anyway, employ that beautiful prefrontal cortex of yours to sit and watch and learn. If you do this, the way I seize it, you will cause less suffering in this world to yourself and to others. So it's worth giving it a shot. But what do I know? I'm just an animal. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a beautiful week and I look forward to being with you again. Thank you for joining us. To make a donation, head to eastlakecc.com slash donate.